Hello and welcome to The Stooshie, the Scottish politics podcast from DC Thompson that helps you be better briefed. I'm Andy Phillip and on this episode I'll be joined by Callum Ross and Rachel Amory to examine and explain the last week in Scottish politics. But first, a summary of the week's biggest national and international politics stories read to you by Morag Lindsay. Legislation that aims to make permanent some of the emergency powers introduced during the COVID pandemic has been backed by a Holyrood committee, but only after the convener used her casting vote. Three SNP members on the Scottish Parliament's COVID-19 Recovery Committee all voted to back the general principles of the bill, but Tories claim it is a blatant and unnecessary power grab. The Scottish Government is to ban builders from using combustible cladding on high-rise buildings in the wake of the Grenfell Tower fire. The rules will stop the use of the materials on buildings with a floor 11 metres or more above the ground. And Boris Johnson has dodged questions about whether the British public were wrong to care about the Partygate scandal. He was questioned during his trip to India, where he replied that the public are interested in jobs and growth. Thanks, Morag. Let's turn our attention to what's been happening closer to home. Boris Johnson is back in the headlines, occupying everyone's heads rent-free in the Commons, even though he's thousands of miles away in India as we speak. It's been another awful week for the Prime Minister, frankly. We'll get to the ins and outs of a Tory leader in peril and what might happen next. Mr Johnson's behaviour might be shocking, but that doesn't mean other political leaders are escaping scrutiny. Nicola Sturgeon's own mask breach was under the spotlight this week, and we'll be looking at some of the stories we've published on topics from a care crisis to the ongoing efforts to tackle sexism in football. Let's start with the man at the top. I feel we need to sort of trot through again how we got to where we are. Um, there's been twists and turns all over the place. A lot of process but a lot of, and a lot of arguments, but maybe not enough action. Callum, on top of everything else that's going on in the world, what's he been up to and where are we as of Friday morning? Yeah, Andy, well, I mean, obviously last week on the Stushi we, we spoke about um, how the, the Prime Minister had uh, just been fined by the police for his uh, involvement in rule-breaking parties at Downing Street during the pandemic, a pretty incredible position for a Prime Minister to be in, uh, uh, you know, fined by the police for breaking his own Rules and obviously, uh, uh, as we probably expected, uh, the fallout from that, as you said, has kind of continued throughout this week and isn't really showing any signs of of letting up. Um, on Thursday, uh, Labour forced a vote in the in the Commons on a new kind of committee investigation into whether Mr. J- Johnson misled Parliament when he when he denied knowing about these parties that he's now been fined for attending. The motion passed without any objections after after Downing Street kind of had to abandon uh, uh, its initial plan to try and delay the probe um, because of uh, basically, I think, unrest on, on the, the Tory backbenches. So that that investigation, another one, will be carried out, I think, by the, the Commons Privileges Committee. I think that's due after... The police investigation is concluded because remember, you know, there's uh, potentially more fines on the way. Um, uh, we've only heard about the initial ones, so things are looking pretty serious for the the PM. It has to be yeah. said, but um, he's he's nowhere to be seen in uh, you know on our shores though. He's he's um, he wants everyone to think he's just getting on with the job, the sort of self-styled wartime PM. Even though last time I checked, the UK isn't actually at war, um, although of course. Russians in Russia's invasion of Ukraine is is captivating everybody's attention and causing ripples all over the world. But with with Boris Johnson in India, 
being fated as by by welcomers and talking up whiskey deals um you know this is this is all happening for him to come home to what well, why isn't why isn't labor streets ahead in the polls because it still seems despite what's going on uh, you know we've been on this podcast talking about this a lot and i feel like experts and as well i've seen a few false dawns about the predicted demise of boris johnson what's happening there is boris actually just going to keep sailing through why 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 is he not collapsing uh yeah that's that's a really interesting question i mean i think we, we have to bear in mind the context in kind of uk politics as a whole i mean we've seen in scotland how 2014 independence referendum kind of you know split the country down the middle and changed politics uh you know completely to an extent that we still we still live with and and when you look at england really really talking about england the brexit referendum did something similar and i think boris johnson who's obviously a well-known personality um uh, uh, and has been fairly popular certainly in electoral terms um he was able to kind of cash in on that so i I'd imagine Labour obviously were a bit all over the place in terms of of Brexit, so I suspect that's that's possibly still a hangover yeah. from that. But I think there is a sense, you know, when the first fines were issued, and certainly before that point, it seemed kind of Boris Johnson probably would survive it. I'm not so sure now, you know, it, 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 it's not looking so great for him. He might not go next week, might not be next month, but. It does seem to be irreparably damaged, I think. Um, yeah. And whether this is the kind of final nail in the coffin, it's going to be pretty difficult for him to draw a line under it and recover. And we're seeing, you know, more and more Tory backbenchers turn on him. Uh, they're going to be worried about their own futures. I think if we're being honest, uh, even even Mr Johnson's supporters and backers probably had their doubts about whether he would be a, an, a great prime minister, but they did. Uh, see him as someone that was popular enough for the public to to win a majority and get Brexit yeah. done, which which he did uh, to an extent, for better or worse. Um, but if he's now no longer popular with the public, or worse, if he's starting to become toxic, then these MPs and supporters aren't going to stand by him for too long. Yeah. I, I suppose one comfort for him might, might be that there's no obvious alternative wait, waiting in the wings to kind of galvanise that opposition in the way he did during during Theresa May's reign and David Cameron's to an extent as well. Yeah. Rish, Rishi Sunak, the Chancellor, was was seen as the obvious successor until a few weeks ago, but his political future looks even bleaker than Mr. Johnson's at the moment. But but things can change fast. They, they, they certainly can. I mean that that you just mentioned Rishi Sunak, and it's almost like that we're talking about Boris again here. But um, Rishi Sunak is he you know he was all over the headlines just a few days ago and the, the tax status of his wife and things like this. Um, for a man that was riding high, uh, just yeah, it, 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 it's it's amazing how quickly his sheen was was rubbed off. But it's not it's not just been, of course, conservatives that have been accused of breaking rules or getting uh, up to all sorts of mischief. Um, attention was also focused on Nicola Sturgeon again um, in recent days because she was filmed not wearing a mask short time in a busy barber shop this is all part of an election kind of stunt but um uh yeah the, the the video was made public and then there was all sorts of complaints the police were asked to look at it and conservatives were absolutely all over it um you know pointing out that this is exactly the same as 
Boris Johnson. I mean, Rachel, false equivalence, or are we um, not holding Nicola Sturgeon to the same standard? Yeah, well, there, there are there are slight differences here. I know that obviously this happened at the weekend, two days before the face mask rule got dropped in Scotland. So technically, yes, it was breaching the coronavirus rules that were still in place. But we must remember this is now two days before all rules got dropped, whereas Boris Johnson, we're talking about multiple parties in Downing Street and Whitehall during the full lockdown and before we had any vaccinations as well. So even just those contexts mm -hmm. make it very different from one another, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, but like you said, there was a lot of opposite, a backlash to it on social media in particular. But a lot of people jumping to our defence as well. I mean, Jason Leach, um, the National Clinical Director, he he was on the radio this week defending her. And I mean, he's technically meant to be neutral in these matters as a civil servant, but um, he was very much saying, no, this is not the same. This is just a slight hiccup, essentially. Yeah, um, it was interesting listening to him saying, oh yeah, we've all done it, we've all done it. And this is, you know, so we're talking about people who set the policy, advise about policy, make the rules and expect everyone else to live by the rules. They're not always going to be following them. But Boris Johnson being fine, saying he's done nothing wrong, saying that he was fine and, and even still, even despite paying a fine, sort of suggesting that he still didn't think he did anything wrong. I don't know, I, I can't really see the you know, the, the argument that Nicholas Sturgeon should somehow resign because of this, although that's the logical conclusion of what a lot of people have been trying to, 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 to say. One political leader who I don't think has ever got himself into trouble publicly for doing anything like that is Douglas Ross. But he's he's wrapped up in all of this as well because he's now standing in the Scottish Parliament attacking Nicholas Sturgeon all the time, as you would expect, but right behind him, there's this huge Boris Johnson-shaped problem dragging him down. Um, he's not exactly having the time of his life, is he? I mean, we were watching First Minister's questions yesterday. And he was he tried to make it all about the local election, but of course Nicholas Sturgeon wanted to turn it on its head and make it all about uh, his problems. So what what about him? Where's he fitting all of this, uh, Rachel? I mean, we, we were talked about Labour not being ahead in the polls, Keir Starmer even called Douglas Ross pathetic, which was um, pretty, pretty straightforward insult to hear. Do you think um, he's coming across as a pathetic figure? I mean, the 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 fact that he's um, withdrawn his letter of no confidence in Boris Johnson and made a big U-turn, saying that he now supports him as a prime minister, justifying it as because there's a war going on in Ukraine, that's really not helped with all of this. And like you said, this week he's had to deny that he's not pathetic. He's had to also insist mm. that he's not going anywhere. He's not quitting his position either. So yeah, it's not been a great, great time for him, has it? It really hasn't. Um, he has probably avoided getting a bigger grilling than he probably would have done at First Minister's Questions this week. But it's, it's difficult to watch him standing up in Parliament and making these sort of bold claims when right behind him is a leader that he says that he supports, who mm. is, is currently being um, referred to for an investigation. So it's difficult, that yeah. one, isn't it? Yeah, I was in Holyrood yesterday and uh, I watched the exchanges. It was pretty rowdy. Um, it was the first time the chamber's been full since the COVID rules were were lifted. Um, and there was a bit of a, a bit of a doorstepping, a number of journalists, um, you know, taking that to Douglas Ross. Um, one forthright reporter asking him repeatedly if he was indeed pathetic, which was quite a sight. Um, 
To which Mr. Ross did re uh, reply eventually, no. So, so there you are. Um, that's that's his response to that. Um, there, there is obviously an election on. Um, so sticking with that and segueing neatly into some self-promotion, um, we've been doing some seriously technical work in the background here, uh, and it's something we'll be sharing a lot more in the days ahead. Notable by his absence from the Stushi today is none other than Derek Healy, the Courier political editor. He's currently corralling the leaders or some senior figures from all the main parties across the Courier's patch, putting readers and listeners' questions to the people in power. At the time of recording this, he's working his way through Dundee and Angus with Fife and Perth and Kinross to follow. You'll be able to listen to the full whack uh, in, in episodes that we'll be releasing next week from April 25th, so please look out for that. Dundee was first up and it got a bit spicy. One local story which we had brought to light was uh, about an SNP candidate, Siobhan Tolland, who got into bother for some previous social media posts attacking the, the Pope, saying 9-11 was an inside job and all sorts of other things. Uh, to say it got heated between the SNP and Labour would be an understatement. It features in uh, the episode we'll be publishing in the next few days in video and podcast. Leader John Alexander first said he would not want to associate himself with comments of Dundee SNP, which appeared remarkably to question whether Labour's Michael Mara condones child abuse in the church, but he declined to apologise. Here's a wee clip giving you a taste of the action to come. I, I don't think it's my job to apologise for um, uh, the comments. The reality is I don't, I don't believe um, that, you know, Michael Mara needs to condone anything. That's absolutely clear. And I think I've explained the background uh, and also the context for Siobhan, which is fundamentally the issue here. Um, and I think what's been interesting is having that conversation on the doorstep, because it has, as you'll not be surprised, it has come up on the doorstep. And, and, and it's important to say that as somebody that has worked very closely with faith-based organisations, it was myself that engaged with the faith community across the city before we adopted a faith covenant and just before the pandemic hit. We were supposed to have a launch event in the months that we went into lockdown with our faith communities. I really valuable, a value, as the administration does, as Siobhan does, the valuable contribution of faith-based organisations. I think the whole sorry affair uh, has been uh, terrible. Uh, the, the messaging uh, that's been conveyed as part of that, clearly unacceptable as well. But let's not forget for those of us that have that experience or, or, or interaction with, with faith, it is possible for people to, put, to repent, to redeem themselves, and I think we should give her that opportunity, given our experience over the last 10 years. Plenty more to come on that story, um, but it's obviously it's not just arguments between the SNP and Labour, although there's plenty of that. We asked our readers to send in their questions so we can get answers before the May 5th election. Uh, lots of you wrote back, and we're also now seeking responses for a one-off special hustings in Aberdeen, which will be hosted by P&J political editor Adele Merson on the 27th and published on Friday the 29th. Again, video and podcast will be available. Check out the P&J online, go to the politics page and take part if you have a burning question to put to the city council leaders. Okay, back to the week that was... Callum, what's been catching your eye from some of the investigations and stories that you've been on top of this week? Yeah, p possibly the most interesting um, one I was looking at this week, Andy, was uh, uh, about the care inspectorate, um, obviously Dundee-based regulator of social care services, care homes, you know, nurseries, um, fostering adoption services, all kinds of hugely important um, job they do um they've 
you know, come in for some criticism during the, the pandemic. They've obviously been at the, the centre of things in terms of 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 care homes. What I found, I was I was reading through some uh, uh, some papers to a recent board meeting of of the care inspectorate and found that there does seem to be a bit of an issue with um, uh, staffing, staff shortages um, at the care inspectorate among among its inspectors. Inspectors make up almost half the the staff. Uh, at the Cane Inspectra, um, but they've they've got forty two vacancies for inspectors at the the mm. moment, uh, full time equivalent. So that's uh, that's almost fourteen uh, percent of the total. Um, I, when I start to speak speak to some people about this, it also emerged that the the inspectors they do have are have lodged a are, are a fair number of them have lodged a formal grievance over pay. Uh, with with their bosses, uh, there's a revised pay offer going out to them, uh, or should have gone out to them this week, I think. Um, but you know, when I spoke to representatives from the trade union at Unison, they said if if that offer was rejected by the inspectors, um, you know, if there wasn't if there wasn't an improvement, uh, uh, then there could they could go down the road of industrial action. So you know, there's been a lot of coverage of staff shortages and major issues in care services themselves care homes and home care that that type of of thing but it seems seems the people that kind of uh, regulate and uphold the standards in these facilities are, are also facing yeah. uh, what the union called a crisis so that i mean that's one to keep an eye on that 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 could could get messy yeah it's um hard to think of another kind of sector that's uh, been more more important in the past couple of years particularly the first year of of um this pandemic some some listeners will, will know we've been doing a lot of work uh, across DC Thompson titles on other major investigative serious issues such as sexism in football. Our investigations team's efforts reached Parliament this week. Uh, always good to set the agenda. Rachel, you were you were listening. Can you tell us a little bit about this this piece of work? Yes, yeah, so this has been a joint investigation by the Press and Journal and the Courier. Um, if any of your listeners haven't had a chance to look at it, it's on both our websites. It's a great read if you get the chance. And it's basically just highlighting the problem of sexism and harassment within football. I mean, if we look at some of the figures of what this investigation has found, um, 70% of people saying that they had experienced sexism in football. And we've got 71% saying they experienced discrimination, 43% saying they experienced verbal abuse, and 5% even saying that they've experienced sexual abuse. So this is, this is really uncovering a lot of things. And it's also not just one area. This was across all of the patches for the Courier and the Press and Journal. And this this was prevalent in all of them. So it's not an isolated instance either. Now, um, this was then brought to Holyrood. Um, Joe Fitzpatrick, he was the one that led the debate on that, which was really good. It really highlighted um, just how big an issue it really is by taking it to that level. Um, now, Joe Fitzpatrick, he was saying that the two things that he thinks are needed to change this attitude is that um, more females need to be given senior roles at football clubs. And also he said that men in particular need to change their attitudes towards female participation in sport. Now, we also spoke to the director of Aberdeen Football Club, uh, Zoe Ogilvie, and she was saying that, I mean, yes, it's, it's really still too common and that's a big problem. But also she says it's it's moving forward. It's not It's, it's never been better um, to be in the women's game in Scotland, so the, the bit, of, bit of both there. But yeah, I don't, I don't know um, how surprised many women would be by hearing this. To be honest, I think all women would be able to sort of pinpoint some 
element of when they've been involved in sport and things have happened. I mean, even just looking at me as a teenager, for example, I was in the athletics club um, as a teenager and, and like you get comments from people either on your body or either on the fact that you weren't as fast as the boys and things like that. So even just little things like that, I think every woman can probably relate to. So it's probably not a surprise there, but it's really good that it's now been brought to Holyrood, it's been brought to that national level and it's been discussed by people who can probably make the changes. Yeah, you mentioned the Aberdeen, one of the Aberdeen FC directors there, the, who spoke to Adele about this when she wrote a story about it. And it was it was kind of a two, two-edged thing. I mean, she's saying how there's never been a more positive time for, for the women's game, but sexism in football is still too common. So yeah, it does feel like there's maybe a, a kind of moment that we're we're touching on here, but this this is a very much a massive work in progress. That's about all we have uh, time to to go through this week. But I think we should probably go back to the beginning to finish up by the welcome return of our old friend, the Stoosh of the Week. I think there's no prizes for guessing who that might be, and we're going to actually go through the archives quite soon and tally up the total because I think when you hit a certain landmark, you get an even an even bigger gong. But this week's Stoosh of the Week has to be Boris Johnson. Stoosh of the Week. And he can listen to that wherever he is in the world, um, either before, after uh, travelling to India, or even before and the next vote in Parliament. Anyway, that's all we have time for. And we'll be back next week with a special series that you'll be able to, to listen to um, of our hustings from Dundee and then ending up with Angus and Fife and Perth and Kinross, followed by Aberdeen. Uh, this leaves me to say thanks to Callum Ross, Rachel Amory and producer Morvin McIntyre. And of course you for listening. We'll be back next week with more. But until then, and even after then, pick up or log on to The Courier, The Press and Journal and all of our news brands so that you can be better briefed. The Stushi is the politics podcast from DC Thompson, designed to help you understand the implications of what happens in Holyrood, Westminster and our communities so that you can be better briefed. Don't miss an episode by following The Stushi today on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or wherever you listen. And if you know folks like you who want to understand politics in Scotland a little better, suggest they tune in or follow Stushi Scott on Twitter and Facebook. And stay even more up to date on local and Scottish news by subscribing to The Courier or Press and Journal, where you can get one month of unlimited access for just £1. Check the episode notes for details and terms.